The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bob Sharon, uh, who is the Senior Tax Analyst at uh, Thomson Reuters. Welcome to the show, Bob. Thank you, Jordan. Good to be here. Let's just start a little bit with your background and your level of expertise. Okay. Um, Well, I'm an attorney, and I edit a journal called Practical Tax Strategies, which is a monthly publication geared to tax attorneys and accountants. And I've written and um, edited articles and various types of publications for both the professional and lay market in the field of taxation for over 25 years. Very good. Well, we're going to talk about a lot of ways that people can save on taxes and kind of the entire tax environment and how that's changing uh, so dramatically here, Uh, and particularly some kind of year-end tax uh, moves that people can make. Uh, Let's start off with the uh, IRA. Um, Now, tell us a little bit about what's going to be happening as far as rollovers or IRAs into Ross and how that's going to be changing next year. Sure. Um, One good opportunity that taxpayers have is to roll money from a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA. And under current rules, this can only be done by people whose adjusted gross income does not exceed $100,000 per year. Uh, This $100,000 limit applies to people who file joint returns as well as single filers. So it has prevented a lot of people from um, taking advantage of of Roth IRA opportunities. Now, starting next year, that income limit is going to be lifted. So um, anyone who has a traditional IRA will be able to roll funds into a Roth IRA. So... uh... Is your sense a lot of people have wanted to do that and not been able to because of the income limitations? Uh, yes. The, um, it's, it's a really good opportunity because with the Roth IRA, earnings are completely tax-free. Traditional IRAs allow you to defer the tax on earnings until you withdraw the money, but with a Roth IRA, you owe no tax at all on the earnings if you meet certain holding requirements. What are some of the other attractive parts of Roth IRAs in addition to it growing tax-free? Okay. Um, With traditional IRAs, you need to start making withdrawals after you reach age 70 and a half. There is no such requirement for Roth IRAs, and that means that you can leave the money there longer and let it continue growing tax-free for a longer period of time. also, uh, the beneficiary of the Roth IRA, if the account owner passes away with a balance in there, would be able to get the money tax-free. And one kind of non-tax benefit of a Roth IRA is that, in a sense, it's allowing you to prepay your income tax, 
because contributions to Roth IRAs are not deductible. And something we may talk about a little bit more is that when you make a rollover, you have to pay tax on what you're putting in. But because you're essentially prepaying that tax, whatever's in there you know is available for your retirement. When you take it out, you will not be hit with tax. And that helps people to plan for the future. Now, for people who don't have, who have the income limitation today that can't do a Roth rollover that will be able to do starting in 2010, they're still going to have to pay a tax if they're in a regular IRA for the conversion. Is that correct? That's correct. Regardless of your income level, if you convert money from a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA, you do pay tax on what you're converting. Assuming you had not paid tax on the money in the traditional IRA, if you made non-deductible contributions to a traditional IRA, you would not have to pay a second tax when you convert those. But only on the, the contributions you made. I mean, if you had earnings inside that and IRA. The, oh, the earnings, too. Any money you're converting that has not, you have not previously paid tax on would be taxable when you make the conversion. So just to explain that to people, say you'd put in, whatever, $10,000 mm-hmm. into a non-deductible IRA over the years, and it's now worth 30000 okay. So you had 20000 in earnings. Uh, the original 10000 would, would roll over tax-free, but the, you'd, you'd have a tax to pay on that 20000 extra. Is that correct? That's correct. And if you chose to just roll over a portion of the account, in your example, two-thirds of the money um, was taxable, so two-thirds of what you roll over would be taxable. So what would you recommend in a case like that, rolling over the whole thing and um, paying the tax? People should look at their tax situation, look at what tax bracket they would be in if they did not make a rollover, and see if the rollover would raise them to a higher tax bracket. Um, if they would be in a higher tax bracket, they might want to limit the amount that they're rolling over to the portion that would not throw them into a higher bracket. And, and throw you that way higher... do a multi-year rollover. It would throw you into a higher bracket because all of that... Uh, income becomes income to you in that year and raises your adjustable gross income. Is that right? That's correct. So, so you're saying if you take too much in one year, your your rate will go up. Right. Your rate would go up. You may also find that you're not eligible for other credits, um, such as the HOPE scholarship credit uh, for education expenses because your income now is at a higher level. So you do need to look at the various tax ramifications of making that rollover. Um, but in general, is your view that uh, tax rates, we'll get into this more later, are going to be going up uh, in the future here? And, and if that were to be true, then it might make sense to do the rollover now because you know what the rates are as opposed to what they may be in the future. That's correct. Rates could be going up. And also people who are earlier in their careers may believe that their income is going to be rising in the years ahead. And so they would be subject to a higher tax bracket for that reason, too. Yeah. Uh, now, you're saying uh, another advantage of the Roths is uh, having to do with uh, required minimum distributions, or RMD, as they're called. Explain how that works. Sure. Um, the purpose of IRAs and other kinds of retirement accounts is to provide money for retirement, and that's why there are special tax breaks associated with them. But the uh, flip side of that is that we are required to take money out and use it during our lifetimes. So the rules have these required minimum distributions say that once you reach age 70 and a half, you need to start taking distributions from your retirement account, IRA or 401k or whatever, and have that based on your life expectancy or life expectancy of you and the designated beneficiary. 
Um, this required minimum distribution does not apply to a Roth IRA. The money that's in there, could, if you don't need it, could stay there until your death, and then your heirs would take it out tax-free. So that's a pretty major benefit of the Roth compared to a regular IRA is not having to take it out and then particularly being able to pass it on. Uh, and as long as people keep it in the Roth IRA, once they've inherited it, it continues to grow tax-free forever, is that right? Right. Once they inherit it, they would be required to start drawing on it. But yes, it would remain tax-free. And so for uh, individuals who are not going to need this money to live on, that is a great benefit. So how does that work? Once you've inherited somebody, your, say your parents' Roth IRA, uh, you have to take out a certain amount of it every year? How does that distribution right. work? Right. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the same way as for regular IRAs, where you're looking, depending on what option you choose, um, if you know, you're the designated beneficiary and you start taking distributions out within a year, you could spread it out over. Um, you know, a lot of time depends also on whether it's a spouse that's inheriting it or some other beneficiary. So that's something that someone may want to look at, you know, discuss with a tax advisor what their various options are and make sure that they, you know, comply with the rules and pick the payout schedule that's most favorable for their particular situation. Now, is this uh, lifting of the income requirements for uh, Roth IRAs a one-year thing only, or is this going forward into the future? This is going forward. It, it's something that was in a law that was passed years ago, and at the time, 2010 seems so far away, but it's almost here now. So uh, do, do you think this is something that Congress might take back? This is going to cost them too much revenue if they have the Roth IRA, where people could stuff a lot of money in there growing tax-free forever? Right. Well, it. Could cost a lot of money in the future, but in the short run, actually, it brings in revenue because people who make that rollover are going to be paying tax on the amount they're rolling over. So, in two thousand for two thousand ten, there could be you know an income windfall or you know tax windfall for Congress to spend on other things. It would. The question is what will happen in the years down the road. And also, people who make the conversion in 2010 can defer paying tax on the rollover amount until 2011 and 12 and, you know, pay half of the tax in each of those two years. So you could even get that extra tax deferral. Um, of course, we don't know what the tax rates will be in 2011 and 2012. So those who think they're going to be in a higher bracket might not want to put off paying the tax. But if you choose, if you can spread it out over those those different years is what you're saying. That's correct. So let's go over again. The, uh, when does it make sense to do the rollover uh, into a Roth IRA? Okay. Uh, the first thing is if you think your tax bracket is going to be higher in retirement than it is currently, because that way you would roll it over, pay tax at your current lower rate, and take the money out tax-free when you would otherwise be in a higher tax bracket. Okay. Um, and if you, ha you have to be able to fund the tax, the, the rollover tax, right. right? If you're going to need to take the money from the IRA to pay the tax, you're probably not a good candidate for it uh, for two reasons. One is that you would have less money in this new Roth IRA growing tax-free than you would have had if you kept in the traditional one and let it grow tax-deferred. And the second thing is if you're under age 59 and a half, you could owe a 10% additional tax on the early distribution um, because you're not rolling it over, so it's considered a distribution that's subject to this additional tax, and that would 
could put you in a higher tax bracket now than you would be in the future. And you're also saying that it is a good idea if you have a number of years to go before you're going to want to tap into that Roth IRA. Correct. So Uh, why why would it be that way? Okay. What essentially you're paying tax now, so you're trying to figure out, am I better off paying tax now and getting tax-free income in the future or delaying paying tax until the future? So you need to have a long enough growth period for your investments so that that tax-free income you get in the future outweighs the fact that you had to pay tax sooner. And that, you know, it's a function of time. It's also a function of what your investment return is. So if you feel that you will have a very high investment return, it would take fewer years for the Roth conversion to make sense for you. What kind of projection would you think is is, uh, fair for people to Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's especially how the stock market's gone lately. It's hard to predict. Um... I've seen um, a lot of people using the period of 10 to 15 years. Okay. Very good. All right. Well, this is very interesting. We're going to get back with more ideas on taxes and how to minimize them and all the opportunities out there. I'm speaking with uh, Bob Sharon, uh, who's the senior tax analyst at uh, Research Institute of America, part of uh, Thomson Reuters. We'll be back after this. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Hi, this is Dr. Vijaya Nair. Together with my dear friend, Dr. Howard Piper, we are hosting our own show called Kiss Your Life Hello. We are two internationally recognized experts, researchers, authors, and health advocates in holistic medicine and counseling. We promise you a fantastic show with interesting guest experts to educate and entertain you 
for the latest information on mind, body and spirit wellness. Join us on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. See you there. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Isa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Isa, where America learns to invest. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bob Sharon. Uh, who is the senior tax analyst at Thomson Reuters, uh, their uh, Research Institute of America division. He also is the editor of a newsletter called Practical Tax Strategies. Welcome back to the show, Bob. Thank you. If people wanted to find out more about your newsletter and other services, uh, is there a website they can go to? Um, They should be going to um, www.ria.thomsonreuters.com. And within there, um, you know, look for the tax and accounting products. Very good. Okay. Um, one of the things we want to talk about was the so-called RMD, the, re- the um, required, required minimum. mandatory minimum distribution. T- tell us some of the rules and how that's going to affect 2009 and 2010. Okay. Um, basically, as mentioned before, if you're age 70 and a half or older, you need to take distributions from your IRA, 401K, and other such plans, and, or at least that's the rule in most years. For 2009, however, Congress has waived the requirement, and uh, the reason for that um, is, is related to the recent stock market crash. Um, your, the amount you take each year is based on your balance as of December 31st of the prior year, and, you know, people in 2009 were finding that they're they would have had to take out an amount that was disproportionate to their actual balance at the time they were making the distribution because their balance had gone down by so much. The Congress said you don't need to take anything out for 2009. The thing is, Congress did not come up with that until the very end of 2008, and some people weren't aware of it um, and started taking distributions in 2009. I would just back up and say if you don't take it, the required minimum distribution, you could be hit with a 50% penalty tax. So that's why people are very concerned about not forgetting to take the distribution. So anyway, if you took a distribution and you did not need to, Congress also has allowed you, or the IRS allowed you, to um, roll the money back into a IRA. And you have until the later of 60 days after you receive the money, or November 30th. So November 30th is coming up soon, and if you received a required minimum distribution and realize that you did not need to take it and don't need the funds, you should consider putting it back in an IRA by making that rollover. Okay. If you've never opened a traditional IRA Mm -hmm. uh, because you weren't able to make deductible contributions in the first place, uh, does it make sense to open one now 
and then do a, a Roth IRA next year, or what would be the strategy there? Sure, you there? can make what's called the, um, a non-deductible contribution, and that would be the, the same deductible, I mean, the same contribution amount uh, up to $5,000 and an additional $1,000 if you're 50 year older in 2009. And the benefit of doing that is you're not getting deduction this year, but then you could roll it into a Roth IRA next year when there's no income limit, and you would only be paying tax on the investment earnings, which in those few months period would, you know, be small. And if you have huge earnings, then, you know, more power to you. Um, but this way you can line, put yourself in line for taking a greater advantage of the Roth IRA benefits. So basically you're saying get as much as you can in this year, and then next year you could do another contribution. That's a way of getting as much as possible in there, uh, growing tax-free forever once it's in there. That's correct. Yeah. Um, okay, and in order for it to be tax-free, I'd refer to holding periods before. Basically, you need to keep it in there the longer of five years or until you reach age 59 and a half. So if you're... Um, 40 years old now, and you set up the Roth IRA, you would not be able to take it out tax-free, and generally until you're 59 and a half. If you're 57 and you do it, then you would need to wait five years. And what if you take the money out before five years? Um, then you would pay tax you know, on the investment earnings and could potentially have a, um, if you're under 59 and a half, have the 10% penalty, so... You know, would be as you would not get the benefits of the Roth, uh-huh. but it's only the penalty would only be on the taxable portion, which is not your contribution. Yeah, um, some high-income people, uh, you're saying, may plan to make large conversions in 2010 uh, because it's uh, no income limitations, but then uh, opt out until 2011 or 2012 of making contributions because they're fearing higher tax brackets. How would that work? Okay, that's the person makes the conversion in 2010, and the way the law reads, you don't have to pay tax until 2011 and 2012, but if you think that you're going to be paying higher tax, you might prefer to pay it in 2010, and so when you file your 2010 return in, you know, by April of 2011, you would opt out of that tax deferral and say, I want to pay my tax in 2010. And since you wouldn't be doing that until you filed your return, you may have a better idea of what the tax rates will be, at least in 2011. So there is some flexibility there. Yeah. Okay. There are some other uh, ways you're saying people can save money on year-end taxes, and one of them is to buy a house. So why don't you explain how the first-time homebuyer's credit and now the expanded existing homebuyer's credit uh, works and how people can take advantage of that. Okay. Um, yeah, this credit keeps getting bigger and better <laughs> with every reincarnation. Um, it's, when it started out in 2008, uh, it was a credit of up to $7,500, and that had to be paid back. Then it was amended, so for uh, up to November 30th of 2009, you could get a credit of up to $8,000 for first-time home buyers, and the credit is figured as 10% of your purchase price up to the $8,000 maximum, and basically you would get that as a credit against your tax, so it's in effect reducing the cost of your home purchase. Now, that is only available to first-time home buyers. Uh, and the first-time home buyer could be someone who never owned a home 
or someone who had owned the home in the past and did not have an ownership interest in, in their residence uh, for the last three years. Um, this is only for your principal residence, so you cannot get the credit for a vacation home. Or rental properties. That's correct. Yeah. And now how has that been expanded with, with the bill that was just passed? Okay, the bill that was just passed extended the time frame for five months, so you have till April 30th of 2010, and also provided an up to $6,500 credit for people who currently own a home as long as you lived in that home for five out of the last eight years. So now it's no longer really a first-time home buyer credit. There's also a component for people who owned a home before. Um, in order to cut down on various abuse situations that the IRS and Congress found to be abusive, um, they put some restrictions in there that, for instance, you need to be at least age 18. And while you were never able to buy a home from certain relatives and get the credit, you now also can't buy it from your spouse's relatives, so um, they are trying to reduce the abusive use of this credit, but have made it more available for, you know, legitimate use. What, what I, I know they had hearings on this. What kind of abuses were happening uh, with this credit? Right. I mean, well, you could have people who were just claiming it and never, you know, really bought a home, so you do need to have more documentation for it. But also, you could have um, sell an interest of a home to a child. Now, the child needed to live at the home, and the parent could not be the owner because there were these related party transactions that were not permitted. But you could have had, I don't know, maybe an aunt who owned the home, and you were living with them, and um, they sell an interest with a child who you know never owned a home before and was eligible and under the new rules would not be. So those are the kind of things that are mostly related party transactions is where the abuses were? Right, that and just people who never really bought a home, just <laughs> claiming the credit, and you know, yeah. I mean, isn't that pretty obvious that they have to show some papers? How could you just claim the credit without ever having buying a well, home? Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of things happen. <laughs> I agree with you. It's, you know, years ago, people were claiming dependency deductions for children that didn't exist, and then Congress cracked down and required Social Security numbers. So here, it's just you know, trying to prevent you know, a different kind of abuse. So what has been your assessment of the impact of the $8,000 first-time homebuyer's credit now before we get into the new existing? Sure. Um, you know, that's one thing also that these congressional hearings have shown, that a lot of people would have bought the home anyway. It's just a function of them buying it now rather than buying it six months from now because they're going to get the credit. So you think it hasn't really helped the market that much because these are people who would have bought the homes anyway? Well, it, it could be helping the market at this point. We don't know what it would do once you reach that period after it. And, um, you know, from things that we've heard, it sounds like um, this is just accelerating sales. So, right, the total number of sales over a longer period might not be as great a difference. And, and what is your assessment of the impact of the uh, existing home buyer credit, the $6,500 credit? How will that affect the real estate market? Yeah, I mean, well, one thing of that, that's not necessarily going to take vacant homes off the market, because essentially what you're doing is you're buying a home, but then you're putting your old one probably on the market. Um, so, you know, there, there are still going to be homes up for sale. Um, I mean, certainly the way it was sold was this was going to cause a huge boom in the housing market uh, now that people with existing homeowners will be able to move up to 
to bigger homes. You don't think that's about to happen? Then, um, well, no, that could happen. You're, you, you know, you're essentially getting $6,500 for buying a new home, so that's a re- you know could be a reason for doing it now. Um, you know, I mean, there's certainly political decisions being made. I mean, is this going to raise the price of the new home, or is in which case, you know, the, the credit is really going to the seller, or is the price of the home going to stay the same and just the buyer is now getting $6,500? I see. Okay. All right. Very interesting. We're going to be back. I'm speaking with Bob Sharon, uh, who is the Senior Tax Analyst at Research Institute of America, part of Thomson Reuters, uh, talking about year-end tax strategies. We'll be back after this. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to grow your business? Listen for the Independent Business Owner Show with your coach, Rick Carrado. This entertaining talk radio program will bring you the tools to help increase your business. You'll learn sales success, time management, lead generation, business development, life balance, and much more. Rick Carrado is here to help you take your business to the next level. Listen for the Independent Business Owner Show, heard live every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday at 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Journey into the realm of spirit, the source of all things. Master fear in these tumultuous times and learn ancient ways to abundant love and healing. Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity, will awaken the unique genius within you. Host Christina Pratt challenges you to initiate your innate powers within to gain health, well-being, and joy through the practices of Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. Tune in each week to Why Shamanism Now, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, on 7th Wave Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bob Sharon, uh, who is a senior tax analyst for Research Institute of America, RIA, which is part of Thomson Reuters. He's also the editor of a newsletter called Practical Tax Strategies. Welcome back to the show, Bob. Thank you. We were talking about uh, year-end tax-saving tips, and uh, what is Uncle Sam doing to uh, help uh, people buy cars? Well, um, actually, there were a few things. The Cash for Clunkers program has now expired, but if you you know got that tax credit, great. And what more people be eligible for is a sales tax deduction um, for the sales tax they pay on the purchase of their car. Uh, this is available whether or not you itemize your deductions. However, if you itemize and you were claiming sales tax rather than state and local income tax, then you would not get a double deduction. So, you know, those people would not find any additional benefit from this provision. Does this expire at the end of this year? Right, um, yes. So you'd have to buy the car by the end of 2009 for this to work? Right. Is, is this a significant tax savings for people? Um, well, it's, it's, you know, it's the extent that a sales tax could be a large amount on the high purchase price of the car. Um, you know, it could be somewhat significant. Uh, keep in mind there are phase-out, income phase-outs, as there are with a lot of tax breaks nowadays. And so the ability to deduct the sales tax starts to phase out when your modified adjusted gross income exceeds 125000 or 250000 for joint filers. So um, so you're saying if you're thinking of buying a car, this is a, a good chance... Uh, good time to do it. Do it in, If you're thinking of buying one soon, you may as well do it in December rather than January. Do you think the cash for clunkers was a good idea as far as uh, achieving its intended goal? Well, it certainly, you know, it, it, it seemed to be real popular and, and from what we hear from auto dealers has gotten people into the showroom and buying. Um, you know, as, as with other things, we don't know what people would have done otherwise. Um, you know, would they buy a car a year later? You know, will it have an effect on future sales? But it does seem to have provided a stimulus for um, sales think during it, this it, it uh, might be reinstated? Um. I have not heard things about that, but certainly a lot of things are possible. And we look at unemployment numbers, you know, yeah. it would seem that, you know, there is some need for stimulus in this economy. Right. Okay, the next way you can save on taxes is to buy a computer for school. How does that work? Okay. Um, a lot of people have what's known as Section 529 plans or education assistance plans where they were putting money into something that was sort of like an IRA, you know, something that was growing tax-free uh, to use for tuition and certain other expenses. And recent law change allows people to use funds from those accounts to purchase a computer for students to use in college. And this was not uh, allowed before? That's correct. So... Um so essentially, not only can you use those accounts for tuition, you could also use them for computers. Now, of course, if your account balance was not high enough to pay the tuition, then this break would not 
be helping you. But if you do have extra funds in there or funds that you, um, you know, we're planning to save for a future year, but now you need to buy a new computer and you're having a cash crunch, here's the source of funds to buy that computer. And this is only for college use or this is while the kid's still in high school or younger? Um, this is for college. And it needs to be, you know, before 2009, it was only available if for a computer if the college specifically required in order to get your degree you needed to have this computer, but now it's um, you know, available for college students, and it's coming out of these 529 plans that are for college. And does this uh, run out at some point? Is... Um, this is for 2009 and 2010 only. So after that, it would have to be renewed to some extent. That's correct. Yes. Okay, you also say that there are ways to help uh, with charity. Uh, how, how can one save on taxes using uh, charitable deductions and IRAs? Sure. Um, people who are, this one is also geared to that segment of the population that's age 70 and a half or older. Uh, those people can take money out of their IRA and have it go directly to a charity and then up to $100,000 per year, and then they would not have to pay tax on the distribution. Uh, they would not be able to get a charitable contribution deduction but for some people, um, could find themselves better off under this strategy where they're not paying income on the um, distribution, even though they're not getting a deduction. Uh, those groups of people would be someone who does not itemize deductions, so the charitable contribution deduction would be worthless. Um, it could also be someone who makes the huge charitable contributions that they were running up against the 50% of income limit on charitable deductions, and it could also be someone who finds that the, having the extra income from the distribution would put them in a higher tax bracket or cause a phase-out of deductions and credits. So the idea is it's a way of giving more to charity. Uh, instead of paying taxes, you're getting more money to charity that way, basically. That's correct. Yeah. Okay, then you talk about uh, small business owners. Uh, what are some ways... So small business owners can save on taxes. Uh, sure. Um, there are some really favorable depreciation uh, rules for this year, for 2009. Uh, basically, when a business buys equipment, um, rather than being able to deduct the full cost right away, as they would for certain supplies, um, they have to deduct it over a period of years through depreciation deductions. But under current law, um, for smaller businesses can claim what referred to as a Section 179 deduction, and that allows them to write off the entire cost of the equipment rather than having to wait for these depreciation deductions to add up. And in 2009, that Section 179 deduction could be up to $250,000 worth of equipment. For larger businesses, um, are able to deduct 50% of the cost of depreciable property in 2009, rather than the smaller uh, percentage, which could depend on the type of property involved. It might be the first year, might be 10% of the so, cost. Uh, is your sense that, that businesses take advantage of this and do buy equipment that they wouldn't buy otherwise because of these tax breaks? Right. When you're looking at how much it's going to cost the business in order to do it, if, if you find the government is going to be giving you immediate tax savings, then you'd have this greater um, impetus to make the purchase now. 
Okay. Uh, you also talk a little bit about uh, ways to uh, save the planet and reap tax savings for being uh, going green, I guess you might say. So, for example, in the energy efficiency area, what are some of the things you can do there? Sure. I mean, you might want to buy insulation for the home or windows or um, some sort of solar panels. And the rules get kind of complicated because there are different rules for different kinds of equipment. But um, under the more general ones, you could be getting an, you know up to $1,500 tax credit, and keep in mind a credit is a dollar-for-dollar reduction in your tax bill uh, rather than a deduction that reduces the income that is subject to tax. So if you're in the market for energy-saving improvements for your home, definitely see what kind of energy-saving statements the manufacturer has provided, and the IRS has said that you can rely on uh, this documentation from the manufacturer. If it turns out that that documentation was inaccurate, then the IRS would go after the manufacturer and not after you, the consumer who, you know, in good faith relied on. How about hybrid uh, cars? What kind of uh, tax breaks are available for buying? Yeah, a hybrid those. Car? It depends on uh, the exact kind of car. Um, the, 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 the credits are based on the level of energy efficiency, and also perhaps unfairly on how many cars that manufacturer has sold. So they do start to phase out um, after manufacturers sold 60000 um, But what can they add up to as far as uh, tax credits if you're buying a hybrid car? Right, yeah, I mean, they vary. They're, they could be thousands of dollars, but it, it, it varies depending on the efficiency and the size of the vehicle and um, Do so you think it makes it, sense? I mean, does it economically make sense to buy a hybrid um, car, which were, may be more expensive? If, well, you'd have to look at how much gas you're actually using and how much you're going to save. If you have a, um, you know, if you drive fewer miles, then it may not make economic sense. You might want to do it for other conservation reasons. But if you use the car a lot, you're you know, putting a lot of gasoline into it, then you would get to derive savings from having a more energy-efficient vehicle, and these credits would reduce the cost of that vehicle. So it's something that if you're looking at it just from a purely economic point of view, there are a lot of factors that go into it, and you would need to look at your individual circumstance. You talked about uh, solar uh, a little bit. What are some other ways of using wind and geothermal and fuel cell energy to uh, save uh, on, uh, on taxes? Sure. I mean, there are credits for these different kinds of water heaters that, you know, use these um, natural um, energy savers um, for water heaters and for, you know, heating your home. Um, and the, uh, you know, the, the amount of the credit does vary with the item and what its fuel efficiency is and, uh, you know, they, they, they use a lot of terminology that would be more um, understandable um, by engineers because they're talking about the exact energy efficiency, and that's why you really do need to talk to um, the, the person you're buying it from and find out what kind of documentation the manufacturer has so that you could figure out what the credit is. And, well, this is what's called the Residential Energy Efficient Property Credit, or REAP credit, as they call it. That's correct. Which can be up to 30% of the cost. Um, of the property. So it, it is a way of saving money on your energy and getting a tax break uh, while you're at it as well. Right. Okay, we're going to take a break and get, come back with more ways to uh, save money on taxes uh, this year. My, spe- uh, my guest is uh, Bob Sharon, uh, who is the Senior Tax Analyst at Research Institute of America, part of Thomson Reuters. We'll be back after this. 
whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. If you're thinking of starting a business or are already in business, tune in as the Kitchen Table Entrepreneur addresses business ownership concerns. Business novice or not, let the Kitchen Table Entrepreneur help you each week as we present and discuss the meat and potato issues of starting and running a business. Join the discussion. There's always room for your thoughts and opinions. The Kitchen Table Entrepreneur is a valuable program you should be tuning into every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business. Network. Are you ready to talk football with the greatest wide receiver player and coach in NFL history? Tune in to Wide Open with Andre Rison. Andre is ready to talk to you and give his thoughts on the sport. There will be celebrity guests, coaches, players, artists, and more. He'll go beyond the game with a look from the coach's point of view and feature a high school player each week. Tune in to Wide Open with host Andre Rison. Featured Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bob Sharon, who's the Senior Tax Analyst at Research Institute of America, RIA, which is part of Thomson Reuters. Welcome back to the show, Bob. Thank you, Jordan. Uh, there are some kind of classic year-end tax moves to make. Why don't you go through briefly some of the things that, that people should keep in mind? Sure. Um, one that people have a lot of discretion over is when they make the charitable contributions. And at this time of year, mail carriers are probably getting sore shoulders carrying all those solicitations from charities. And if you're deciding to make contributions, keep in mind if you make them by December 31st, you will be able to claim a deduction on your tax return for 2009. If you wait till January to make the contribution, then you'll have to wait a year to get your deduction. If you make contributions by credit card, you can get your deduction in the year you charge the um, contribution, even though you don't actually pay the bill till next year. Um, another item to look at is mortgage interest deduction. If you generally make your payments via mortgage at the beginning of the month, consider moving up your January payment till December and make it in December, and that way you'll get an extra month of interest that month 
much sooner. If you're doing that, of course, make sure that the statement the bank or other lender sends you does include that additional interest payment because if they're running their programs before their, your payment gets credited, you may find that you, you know, your, your payment did not make it onto the 2009 statement. Um, if you pay state and local income taxes, uh, estimated taxes, you might want to make your payment that's due January 15th before the end of the year also. However, if you're subject to the alternative minimum tax, keep in mind that state and local income taxes are not deductible for alternative minimum tax purposes. So your um, year-end strategy may need to be a bit different. Let's talk a little bit about estate taxes. Uh, we've had a lot of changes. I guess right now the exemption is $3.5 million. Uh, in 2010, it goes away altogether, and then 2011 comes back, kind of back to the future. We go back to where it was in 2001. Uh, how should people plan uh, as far as estate taxes with what's happening in the next two years here? Yeah, I mean, planning is really hard, and this is something that we expect Congress to pass a law before the end of the year. Um, the question is exactly what that law will say. As you mentioned, under current law in 2009, you can leave up to $3.5 million to your heirs and not have to worry about paying tax. Um, next year, uh, the way the law currently reads, you can leave an unlimited amount. However, there is a cost to that. Uh, right now, if you inherit assets, your basis, that is your cost figure for determining gain or loss when you sell in the future, would be the date of death value of the asset. And if, so in other words, if you, know, you inherit a house that someone bought for 50000 it's now worth 500000 you could sell it for 500000 and not pay any tax. In the future, in 2010, they'll have what they call carryover basis, so your basis would be the $50,000. And so while there are some exceptions, um, people could find that they owe tax, income tax on assets, even though there was no estate tax at the time the assets were transferred. Um, you know, then going to 2011, there would only be a $1 million exemption amount. So the what estate planners are trying to do is build flexibility into plans, recognizing that you need to revisit them as Congress changes the rules. And one way to have flexibility is using what is referred to as qualified disclaimers, and that is you leave assets to, for instance, your children rather than your surviving spouse, but the children know that they can disclaim it, say, I'm not taking it and let it go to the, so that it might pass to the spouse otherwise. So there, you know, um, is definitely a need for state planning, and also for state planning for non-tax reasons to take care of people. And what is your guess of how Congress is going to settle this out? Right, um, we would think that they would probably give a one-year extension while they, you know, fiddle around with it some more. So probably having a three point five million dollar exemption amount for two thousand ten and perhaps leaving the estate tax rate at the 45, top rate of 45%, which it is now, and then in the future maybe raising that $3.5 million, perhaps to $5 million. And, um, you know, if they reduce the rate, I don't know, maybe to 40% or 35%, but not bringing it down to zero. So that's, that's your view is going to go on. So let's just talk a little more broadly about, about taxes now. 
uh, we, we've got pretty low rates. We've got 15% uh, dividend rates, 15% capital gains rates. These are scheduled to expire in 2010. Can you see those being kept, or do you think it's almost inevitable that those rates are going to go back up? And what impact will that have on tax planning? Sure. Um, I would think there would be some increase in the rates, probably the higher end rate. Um, politically, it would probably be difficult to you know, let the 15% rate go up or get rid of the 10% rate, have it go up to 15 But the, I could see the 35% rate going up. And that means that people at the higher income brackets are, you know, more likely to be paying tax in the future. Those people would be looking at things like making Roth IRA conversions. They could lock in the 35% tax rate now rather than paying tax at whatever the higher rate would be. Um you know, people will also be looking, if, if if we have legislation and we know next year the rates will be higher to maybe pull in some deferred compensation, have it come in this year, um, perhaps deferring deductions rather than trying to get the deduction into the current year, they may say, let me put it in the following year when it would be offsetting income that's taxed at a higher tax rate. Uh, if the capital gains rate goes up and we have advance notice that it's going up as of a you know, particular date, people might want to sell assets um, that are showing a gain now in order to pay the lower tax. And conversely, if they have something at a loss, saying, let me delay selling that and let it offset income that would otherwise be taxed at a higher rate. I mean, Congress raises these tax rates to generate more revenue, right? Yes. (laughs) And yet it seems whenever they change these rules, it doesn't do that. People try to rearrange things so they don't pay higher taxes. So is, is this a self-defeating kind of Well, I mean, syndrome? it's certainly difficult, and that's one thing when you hear these estimates of how much revenue something's going to bring in. Um, it, 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 it makes the um, valuation more complex and also the need for not having a static kind of projection where you say, well, this many people did something in this year, so if tax rates change, you know, people are going to continue with the same pattern. Yes, people are going to change their behavior to try to reduce their taxes. Yeah. I mean, without the details of it, uh, the, the health care plan that was just passed by the House mm-hmm. has some pretty massive tax increases. I think it's a 5.4% surcharge on those over a million. How would people react to that? Or what would you recommend? If that went into effect, what would you recommend for people just pay it, or, or are there strategies to get around it? Well, I mean, we're talking about people in a certain income level where they can afford to pay for expert advice, so I think they are going to be going for that. And um, as the IRS now has been trying to crack down on tax shelters, um, they'll find that the higher the top tax rate, the more likely people are going to be seeking tax shelter investments because they have more to gain by avoiding tax. So, you know, that will be a problem in the enforcement end of... Um, so, so you're saying if they raise tax rates like the health care, mm-hmm. like bringing capital gains and dividend rates back up, that it'll kind of revive the tax shelter industry, which is has not been doing so well lately because tax rates are low. Is that what you're saying? Right. I mean, there certainly there have been legislative changes that make it harder to, you know, have certain kinds of tax shelters and prohibit certain kinds of tax shelter deductions, the types of things that were done in the 70s and 80s. But, the, you know, the, the higher tax rates are, the more incentive there are for people to get into it because they see greater savings. Um, people may also find that they're um, the affluent are making larger charitable contributions because it's costing them less after taxes. The tax rates yeah. are higher. 
Yeah. Well, it's a big game going on, and we'll have to see who, who wins it. Well, it's been very helpful. Uh, Bob Sharon is the Senior Tax Analyst at uh, Research Institute of America, RIA, part of Thomson Reuters. He's also the editor of Practical Tax Strategies. And uh, we've given us a lot of really great advice here on how to minimize our taxes as we end uh, this year. So thanks so much for being on the show, Bob. You're welcome. Good speaking with you, Jordan. Thank you, and we'll be back again next week. Bye-bye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.